Welcome to the Your Mom Has a Blog podcast. I'm Chad. I'm Melissa Edgington. Why didn't you say Edgington? Just trying to change it up, man. This is driving me crazy. <laughs> All this podcasting. <laughs> we went to the dance class or the dance recital yesterday, and I told Melissa after it was over, there were so many little girls that just got up there on the stage. They just couldn't even. They could not I mean, even. They could not even. <laughs> it's mainly little ones. And they just would like walk out there and just look at the other girls like, y'all are just, y'all are like part of the system. And I'm not. That was their <laughs> attitude. It really was. They're like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing jumping jacks and, you know, flaps up here, whatever they call those things. I'm not doing that. There was an unusually high number of little girls who refused to do what they were supposed they to were do. They were in the early show. Because I thought, man, these girls in the middle show, the four o'clock show, they're all dancing. But they had just these ones that would just come out there and they'd just be like, put their hands on their hips and be like, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Or they would cross their arms. Or check out their dress. Like one of them just took the chance. The, the, I guess, you know, she hasn't worn that dress much. Yeah. But she was just like, oh my gosh, look at these sequins. And she just <laughs> kept playing with her sequins the whole dance. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that, that right there is a, it would be an indicator to me that we're not doing dance next year. My mom said a lot of a lot of dance careers were ending <clears throat> last night at that dance recital. Because dad's like, I'm not paying for this again. There was one little girl that spent the whole dance calling out to every single family member that was present to watch her. And she had a lot of family Hi, members Mimi. there. Hi, Mama. <laughs> Just waving. Oh, man. Okay, well... But anyway, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm just trying to keep things fresh and and different. You know, I don't yeah. want to I don't want to be in the position of a podcaster who can't even. Right. I want to be able to even. Yeah. So tonight I'm evening. Good. I'm returning back to the old ways, the old themes, the old thoughts in my mind. Trying to be open. I'm open. Whatever happens, I'm open. Stow and go. (laughs) Now you're digging deep catalog. Deep catalog for your mom (laughs) has a blog podcast. So this is interesting. Jill Edgington is the only person who will get that. And Andy Rogers, but he probably doesn't (laughs) listen anymore. So, yes, you know, uh, we've been doing this. This is real interesting. I've been really watching the stats to see if how doing 30 days of podcasting affects our stats and people's downloads. Is it too much for people to listen? And we had a huge Sunday uh, as far as downloads. And by this time at night when it's 9 nine o'clock, I'm not sure exactly how it sets it up. I might need to go in and tweak something because there's already people listening tomorrow around the world. So it shows you. At the end of the day, however, whenever, what I'm not sure when the day ends, like at 8 o'clock at night, it turns into the 14th somewhere on That's our stats. That's the closest we'll ever get to time travel. Yeah, so tomorrow, so they're already listening tomorrow, and we've already got you know quite a few people hitting the, the podcast tomorrow, which is weird. <laughs> uh, and I've, as I've been looking at it, some some go... You know, they're they're in the sort of the we're on six. This is podcast sixty two, and some are still in the early fifties, and they're yeah. still they're try, maybe trying to catch up. But all that there's a lot of people catching up, and then a lot of people listened to Jackson and Heather the podcast last night. I'm sorry for the audio. I made a mistake on that, so that audio is not as good. But I spent some time trying to clean it up to where you could understand it. I don't think it's that bad. No, I just really I'm kind of a nerdy audio tech kind of guy on I like the podcast to sound a certain way I don't like it to sound like it's being recorded in a bathroom you know I want it to sound good right I pride myself on using the same EQ model that NPR uses wow you know so all things considered I think it sounds pretty good (laughs) I don't ever hear NPR anymore do you ever do you ever they don't have that around here I don't think well we don't listen to the radio remember yeah we have satellite radio yeah but they have NPR on that, but it's not the one that I liked. Like there was a, 
something I liked, uh, All Things Considered, and they had some other shows in Texarkana, I actually listened to public radio. Yeah. And I liked the way that it sounded, because it didn't sound slick and compressed. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to emulate on our podcast. And last night was a train wreck, as far as that was concerned. I had a camera plugged in. So that Jackson and Heather, so we could see each other as we were talking, and the camera's microphone is what was picking us up. That's why it sounded so bad. Yeah. And Jackson and Heather's uh, portion sounded really good, so I'm I'm glad for that because they were they really had some good stuff to share. Um. Big, uh, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. It's a uh, Mother's Day edition. Yeah. Of the Your Mom Has a Blog podcast. Did you have a good Mother's Day? I did. Mm-hmm. You had muffins with mom. Muffins with mom in the preschool department. I had lunch with Betty Edgington, mm-hmm. the one and only. Right. And I went grocery shopping. You got to go to Crowded, the, the kind of the dirty Walmart in Wichita Falls. Yeah. There's kind of a clean Walmart on the edge of town. That must be the new one. Did you know there's another Walmart? There's three? There's three. In Wichita Falls, a three Walmart. I just Walmarts? found that out. Ooh. Where is it? By the Air Force Base? Yeah. I wonder what that's like. I bet it's clean. <laughs> that one that one over on the side of town is clean. But that one right down, <laughs> the one that's always there by Lowe's and Sam's and Home Depot and um, yeah, that Walmart that's there in every city, it's, you know, but it's not as bad as it could be. What's the worst Walmart we've ever been in? Well, something in the Metroplex in Arlington, probably. Oh, it was so bad. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes. Oh, man, I know. It was so, like, stuff was all over the floors, and, like, stuff from the shelves was all over the floors. And and it was so disgusting that that's how people live there in the Metroplex. It blows my mind. that they You would be, like, looking in, uh, it was probably wrong, we were probably looking for Christmas clearance or something, and you, you... you go into these these big Walmarts in, in the big cities, and you're looking at the Christmas clearance, and there's like a gallon of milk that's been sitting there for two days, and no yes, one's cleaned it up. It's disgusting. That's gross. I can't believe y'all live like that in those big cities. Yeah. Y'all, need to, y'all need to get on board out here with country life. Half-eaten candy bars that somebody stole. Yeah, and empty DVD cases. Yeah. Forget that, man. <laughs> not living like that. You know what's a nice Walmart is the Walmart in Panama City Beach. You think that one was pretty nice? Yeah. It's kind of sandy, though. A lot, wow. of, a lot of flip-flops. I don't, I don't like going into a store where they're selling food and there's people with flip-flops on. That's all of Texas. Not, not where I live. They wear boots. Well, except for, except for <laughs> Graham, it's around PK. <laughs> so I, I've never really noticed the flip-flops very bad there. But I remember in Panama City thinking that. Like, oh, it's all these people fresh off the beach going to Walmart because they've got to get aloe vera. <laughs> Remember that night we were at that Walmart in Branson, and this guy came up to you in the parking lot, and he had just gotten beaten up at a bar? Yeah, that was cool. (laughs) Hey, I'll tell you that Branson Walmart is small, but it's classy. It's clean. It's very, very, it's like Missouri is a very clean state. It seems to be. Yeah, Yeah. very clean. You know, there's some problems with Missouri. uh, They have Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yeah, but but they basically only have land, and they have no natural resources. Huh. You remember going down in that big cave there, Marvel Cave, at Silver Dollar City? Yeah. I would say that's the saddest thing to a Texan, to see a big hole in the ground like that with no oil in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they have much oil in the whole state, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But anyway, um, their their baseball teams are a lot better than ours. So um, where was I going with that? I just blanked out. All I can think of right now is that picture of Marvel Cave with the hot air balloons in it. Like that's like the image that came in my mind. I could, oh, this disgusting Walmart. So, uh, and we were we were in the parking lot of that Walmart. We had taken the thirty nine passenger van or the thirty nine passenger bus to Walmart. So, so we drove the seniors up there. Melissa and I did at our last church in a giant thirty nine passenger bus, and then we would just take that out at night. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the crazy thing about Branson is like there's bus parking everywhere. You, you want to go to the ice cream parlor? Yeah, we got bus parking there. That that one ice cream place in Branson, that is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I love it's a place so where you can get like a sundae on top of a funnel cake. Right. Yeah. And they have a fun photo booth. You know, I think we're in the realm of things that people don't care about. Yeah. 
So the guy walks up to me and he's like, uh, I just got beat up in a bar. And But he had like a testimony. Remember that? He told me he was seated in the heavenly places. I think that here, here's, here's been my experience in the ministry. Is that when people find out that you're a pastor or a pastor's wife, then they have a lot of spiritual type things to say to you. Have you mm. noticed that? I, my experience in the ministry is if there is a weirdo, they will straight up, you know. They'll find you. They'll find me. But that was before you were in the ministry. I think it's your face. You just have a face that says. I'm not threatening. Yeah, that yeah. says, hey, guys, I'll give you money. <laughs> yeah, I have that face. Let's ask that guy for money. He'll give us some money. So, yeah. Not... In Panama City Beach, remember that college girl came and asked you for money? Really? I don't remember At that. Walgreens. <laughs> I mean, everywhere I go, people ask me for money. It's, it's so the weird. craziest thing. I just yeah. need to start keeping money to give to people. Like, I don't know why I go out with no cash. Like, I should realize it's going to be a matter of time since someone hits me up. But... It was a nice thing at uh, when we were in Kentucky, in Louisville, and we walked down to the White Castle, and I saw a guy, and he was like, oh, he's coming to ask me for money. Like, I knew he was making a beeline for me. Yeah. And we'd walked all the way down there. We had to Uber back to the conference because it took so long to walk there. So I'm the only guy in the history of the world that's ever walked, like, two miles to get to White Castle. <laughs> yeah. But I love White Castle. I'll just admit it, and I don't even care what you think. So this guy walked this guy walked walked up to me. I thought, oh, he, here he comes. He's going to ask me for money. And just as I was thinking that, the Lord provided just two $1 bills just blew right past me and I just picked them up. And I walked over and handed them to him like I knew, thank you, Lord. Here's your money, man. Yeah, that was really weird. Wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not explaining. The Lord provides. The Lord provides for that dude. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to ask Chad for some money, but I'm going to help Chad out here. <laughs> I found one dollar and gave it to him. Then I found another one. I was like, hey, come here. That's what that's what happened. Yeah. He's like, thanks, brother. I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> I said, the Lord gave that to me. It just blew right over here where I was standing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today was our Mother's Day service at church, and... And baby dedication and senior adult Chad preached a real tearjerker of a sermon today. Yeah. And everybody in the church was crying. We were just passing around the tissues. Oh, man. Yeah. His mother was there for the service. Yeah, I wrote the tribute. I I really, and I didn't, I knew I was not going to have any time to preach because we had so much we were trying to cram into an hour and 15 minutes. So I just told him, I said, listen, I'm going to preach fast and you're going to listen fast and uh, you know, when it started off, there were so many babies in the sanctuary. That's all I could think of was how loud it was in there. Like, did you feel that? Like, just tons of noise and rustling. And I truly did not notice. Okay, well, you notice that when you're talking, of course. And then, as I got into that second point about Timothy having a, a heritage of faith, I started talking about my mom. It's like everybody got quiet. They were really listening. Yeah, because you got choked up, and everybody yeah. was like, oh, my yeah. gosh, Yeah, Chad. once when the preacher chokes up, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, is it going to be okay? Do we need to get the defibrillator? <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Because I don't usually ever cry when I'm preaching. It's but there so are some, rare. there are some guys that turn it on all the time when they preach, and I just think, I'm not buying it. That's not, they're not turning it on. Some guys are just more emotional than other guys. Some, but some guys are faking. Like some guys know how to make it sound like they're really emotional and they're not. I'm thinking of Jimmy Swagger. Yeah, I'm thinking of, I don't even know who I'm thinking of. I just know that when I hear it, sometimes I know it's genuine burden and we should, we sh- you should preach with tears. Um, I think that's something Ravenhill would say, you know, the... The old, uh, some story, I'm not sure if it was Raven Hill or who it was, but they were telling a story that these girls were praying and they weren't, they were praying for their friends and they weren't seeing their friends come to Christ. And they told that to some preacher, I'm not sure who it was. And he said, well, have you tried tears? <laughs> have you really tried to wow. hurt for their soul? So we should preach with tears, but we should not preach with fake tears. Because I think that's, you know, and I think sometimes, because you, I can say that when I was preaching that, I, was, I thought, 
I'm preaching this, it's coming from my heart, but even when I looked up and saw many people crying in the auditorium, I looked to the right side and, and just saw on the, just the right side, and I looked back down quickly because I saw so many people crying, I thought it would make me cry. And I wondered if I was being manipulative when I was preaching that. Mm. Like I was fearful. I was like, am I, am I, am I playing on emotions and, or am I still preaching God's word? Because you can see how if you could do that, I don't think I've got a gift of to do that. Maybe that's a good thing. But you can see that if you could tell a story, if you could bring people to that emotional crescendo, yeah, you know that you that you don't really need the Holy Spirit if you can manipulate people like that. Mm. And so I hope I hope that that what I was preaching was. I mean, I was I I. Um, don't want to preach in a manipulative way. It didn't seem manipulative. It was it yeah. was obviously genuine. But I could tell that that was I could tell though you could if you could do that, which I don't think I could just do that. I, I that's something that happens. I hope that's yeah. always something that happens and some not something you're trying to aim for. But uh you could see how you could abuse that. Yeah. Just like you made a good point tonight watching that YouTube video with Greatest Showman. Yeah, we, we, so our family is really into the greatest showman right now. And don't, and don't be a super judger out there. If you, if you don't like Hollywood musicals, there, it is PG. There's the D word in the movie. Yeah. A couple, four or five times. Um, so be good, um, thoughtful parents before you let your kids watch it or listen to it. There's also an article in the Gospel Coalition it's called something like Why the Greatest Showman Has Captured Our Imagination. I think that's good. Uh, you know, as always, whenever you're paying attention to something Hollywood puts out, make sure you do your worldview, um, you know, discernment and filter it. Teach your kids how to think about it. All those, all those things. All that to say. So all those are our, our disclaimers and qualifiers for complainers and and disqualifiers or whatever. So tell me what, what you thought about it on YouTube. Well, we were watching, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have watched the videos of their rehearsals. Like there a are a lot of, there are a lot of rehearsal videos on Facebook and, um, we were watching one and it, it was really obvious that when they were singing this and even watching it, I could feel it, you know, that it was like a spiritual experience, what they were having. It, it was, I knew that they were feeling many of the same feelings that we feel when we're worshiping. Yeah. And I think that that is the danger in putting so much stock in that emotional high that you get during music. Yeah, it's really a warning. Because, um, Can you link to that? Here, I'm going to write that down that you'll link to that video. Okay. Because any kind of music really can make you feel, can simulate those same emotions. You know, I, I am a huge Beatles fan, for instance. And I got to see Paul McCartney in concert several years ago, many years ago now. And, um, you know, when Paul McCartney is singing Hey Jude in Cowboys Stadium and everybody's singing with him, you know, it has a very similar feel to when you're singing with your church, you know. Um, and there are a lot of a lot of things like that can happen whenever you're dealing with music because music touches your heart, touches on those emotional parts of you. And, you know, we don't want to put too much stock in the emotional feelings that we get during worship or when we're listening to Christian music because even though there's nothing wrong with those emotional feelings that we have, we don't want to confuse those with some kind of um, conversion experience or something just because we're feeling that way. Yeah, it just goes back to the music is incredibly um, powerful, and therefore it can be abused and be, and be manipulative. And, you know, you can have people singing the stupidest things in church, and they are just emotionally wiped out, um, feeling it. Like this song, how they talk about God's love being reckless, right? It's got a nice 
melody. I heard it the first time I heard it. I thought that song has a nice uh, f- feel to it. Uh, there's a sort of a there, there's um, a desperation in it. It's really it's but it says some really dumb things. Like the and then the guy came out and tried to kind of rehab the song. And so if you sing that song at your church, um, you know I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm just saying you can do whatever you want to at your church, but we're not singing that one at mine, and without changing the words. <laughs> so I'll change words on songs if it's a good song and the guy could have done a better job. We just change the words, and also change the words in in the Christmas song. It had the word A double S in it. Some, you know, remember that song? What an was old, that? Was it an old Christmas yeah, what, hymn? Yeah. What was that song I did? Born today, Christ is oh, born yeah. today. It was like ox and boop, something. <laughs> I was like, can you change that to ox and foal or something different? That's, I mean, because you can imagine that would be like every little kid's would think that was the most awesome thing that happened in church all day. Yeah. Hey, uh, we were in church this morning and we we got to cuss and sing it at the same time. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me of an experience I had today. Are we moving on from the music thing? Are you done talking about that? Tell me about your experience. Um, Today, the kids and I, well, we were all in a bookstore, but Chad was over in another section. And there were these two boys in there who were in their, probably in their 20s. And they were, they had the filthiest mouths. And I was that mother. Oh, you were not. I was so that mother. I can't believe it. And I started talking to them from over where I was standing, and they were just, they were not listening to me at all. So I started out going, guys, hey guys. And they just ignored me. So I walked over to where they were. Hey guys, I've got a six-year-old right here. So if you could just not use the F word, that would be awesome. (laughs) Is that what you said? Yeah. That would be awesome? Yeah. And (laughs) And they were like, they just looked at me when their eyes were big. Were they scared? You could tell they were thinking about whether they were going to tell me off or whether they were going to be like, okay, yes, ma'am. And they chose the yes, ma'am route. Good for them. Yeah. (laughs) So even though someone has really failed in their life in controlling their mouth, I mean, someone taught them some manners somewhere along the line. Yeah. They knew knew messing with this lady might be a bad idea. (laughs) She's giving off a strong mom vibe. On Mother's Day, I think I better lay off. It made me so mad. They had already cussed quite a bit, but then when I heard that one say the F word, I was just like, no. Well, like you said, though, they say it without. Yeah, they didn't even realize. They don't realize they're saying saying it. it. They're so foul that they don't realize that they're offending everyone around them. They were literally 15 feet, maybe. Away from this little long-haired blonde girl in a unicorn dress, you yeah. know. I mean, it just blew my mind. I don't know. I, don't know. I got the profanity. It's one of the things that is. So when you're, what's well, another thing that's kind of a benefit of being a preacher, is that people generally watch their mouth around you. Yeah. So you get used to not hearing it. So then when you do, and we don't watch movies that have language in them, we filter that stuff out. So I mean, we kind of live almost like in a cuss-free life. We do. And, and, and that's probably why. I mean, I could just feel the heat rising in my face. It made me so mad. Because <laughs> when I when I it, it's a, you, you, when you hear of coaches cussing, when you hear of you, know, I just think you know that is so like in a school that you think you know if the if the if the biology profe- what do they call them teacher if the biology teacher was using that kind of language or talking that way, they'd be fired. Yeah. You should be fired. <clears throat> and you think, I think, wh- why would you talk that w- what What that tells me when you use profanity in front of people you don't know, Yeah, that's like the rudest, I mean, I don't think you should use it anyway because it doesn't really, it, 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 it's not very creative. Yeah. But when when someone is willing to use that language, like if I, I was down at the hardware store the other day and a guy just came in there just thinking, you know, I guess if there's a place you can cuss, it's the hardware store. But there I was, and he didn't know I was a preacher, but the guy that was checking me out knew, and he was, you almost he thought he was going to tell the guy, stop it. <laughs> this is the preacher. Don't say that. And the guy just kept going. I mean, he just really, you know, and I got out of there. Uh, I should have said, uh, charge this to the church or something, but I didn't do that. 
But you know, it just shows you that you just you really those kind of people don't have they're they're uncouth and they don't have a a respect for other people. It shows yeah. mad disrespect. And but these kids probably they they're in, they are so used to just talking to people that way, talking to each other that way, where mm-hmm. no one thinks anything of dropping the f bomb, that they didn't even know they were doing it. Yeah, but that's but a bad know, way to be, where you don't even realize that you're offensive. I know. You say that we live in a in a cuss free life. We do, but our kids our don't. Our kids don't. Yeah. They sure don't. So who who's saying the f word at school? She said, "Who's not saying it?" That's yeah, easier. that's what Adelaide says. Yeah. But it was. Here's why I love that I still have a six-year-old because after that altercation in the bookstore, we were walking away and Emerald said, I know what the F word is and I'll spell it so that I won't say a bad word. (laughs) F-A-R-T. And I said, that's right. And And we do not say that 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 word. I don't like that word either. Yeah. That's probably not a good word. Yeah. I like poot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's move on. Or poof or toot. Those are all good words. That's funny when you, like, you say, I, I always, I don't even say um, P-E-E anymore. Like when I talk about going to the bathroom, I just say tinkle. I say T-T. I got a T. I love when I say, guys, I got a tinkle right now. But you're, you're allowed to do that when you're a dad. Yeah. You know. Okay, let's get to our to tonight's topic. Wait, I'm not done with going. Going, I need to. I need to say a few more things about music. Oh, then okay. I'll feel like I've worked that out of my system. Okay, I want you. I because there's probably someone listen. right now is thinking, "I love that song, Reckless Love," and I can't believe he said something negative about it. And I want to hear an explanation. Okay, I want you to leave this podcast feeling like you said everything that you need to say. So I, I fully support you okay, well, in I've, this endeavor. I appreciate that, but I'm 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 not going to say everything I want to say. Um, so whether it's a song talking about, you know, so here's a song that's popular that talks about God's recklessness, uh, which means his, um, you know, failure to consider consequences. Uh, that's not, God always considers consequences. God knows about consequences we don't even know about because we only know what's happened and he knows what could have happened. I mean, you, if you think about God, he's he's never reckless. He has a plan. The Bible makes that abundantly clear that God has a plan and nobody can thwart it. I mean, so we know that he's not reckless. The only way God I've ever heard someone say God could possibly be reckless is Tim Keller in the book Prodigal God. He said, God is reckless in the sense that he does not reckon our sins against us. So he's reckless in that he's not reckoning. That makes sense? Reckless with an R? Yeah. Yeah, reckless. He's not reckoning. He's not reckoning our sins against us, so our sins are not being reckoned. It's reckless. But as far as saying that he's reckless in the way he pursues us, in the song, the guy says he leaves the 99 and goes after the one, like not worrying about the 99, not caring about the 99 just so he can go save the one. To which people that study the Bible and know the history came out and said, uh, one shepherd would go get the go get the one sheep, but then they would have other shepherds there to watch the ninety nine. It doesn't even make it doesn't even make any sense uh, what what the song the guy the song that the guy wrote. If you love the song, you can fix it. Just change the words to where it's biblical, and then you can let your church sing it. We do that for some songs, even if there's just a tiny doctrinal issue, we'll just change the words. Fix the song, and then when your people sing it somewhere else, they'll be like, "What? They got the words wrong. They, got, they don't know what. What does that mean?" But anyway, so when you think back to that video of Hugh Jackman singing that song, that's a great song. And then there's people up on the tables, you know, and they're getting into it. these. And these are Broadway performers. I mean, they're like their bread and butter is hamming it up. Yeah. Right. So I mean, they're going nuts, and they're. They're all doing their runs, and it sounds like you know fifty thousand American Idol um, auditions going on at once. I mean, they're they're going after it. But you, they're having that as you mentioned that spiritual experience. Something within them, the the music was moving them. And what was not happening though, it, and music has that power. But we're told to worship in spirit and in truth. 
So you've got the music, and that's a powerful component, but that can be misused if you don't have the truth component right there beside it. Right. So that's why in a song, the most important thing in the song is the words. I mean, the feeling is going to come with the music. If you've got a nice melody, you could sing anything. You could yeah. sing Hey Jude. You could sing uh, From Now On, whatever you're going to sing. And it's going to be moving because that's music moves us. But when you add the spiritual component, you connect the brain that knows the truth to the heart, yeah. which um, is a feeling. And so that way you have like almost like accountability. Your heart doesn't get out of too far away from where it needs to be because your brain is keeping it in check because your brain knows the truth. So constantly be thinking about how you're f- feeling, you're emoting in a worship experience and make sure that it's because you're centered up on the truth and not just feeling the music. Right. I'm telling you, especially those of you who live in big towns, go to those big churches, when you see the show that they put on on Sunday mornings, I don't know how anyone could worship to that. And, I, and I'm, I'm feeling like an old man saying that. But it just seems you're in the dark. It doesn't seem like church. Sorry. Uh, I, 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 when I'm standing in a thing like that, it's almost, it's, it's such an overload that it, you know, I guess you get used to it, maybe. But I think it's really hard um, to make sure that you're worshiping in spirit and truth. Mm-hmm. Really, it's very hard. I think it's harder when you've got lights and smoke and an incredible sound system, multimedia. I mean, it's really easy to get swept up in the production of it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, you think I'm being unfair there? Mm, I think that, I think you're... Um... You're generalizing a little bit. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. There, I think there are some churches that have that kind of um, atmosphere where the people sing. I think if the people are singing... Yeah, you're good. But I, but the churches where it's just the people are just standing there watching the singers sing, mm-hmm. then that's not corporate worship. Right. Yeah, that's a, that, that would be a real problem. But, with, but I would say where the emphasis is on... Is on emotion and incredible perform vocal performances by individuals. It mm-hmm. just starts to get weird yeah. in my opinion. So when I see a lot of that, it's like, I feel I'm increasingly unable to relate to that, that it's so different. It's so different than what I think in my mind, I guess now after having been in some settings where I, where I did think that there was a, there was true congregational singing going on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, our associational meetings that we have for our, for our Baptist Association out here in the region, where people from maybe 20 churches will come together, 10, may, I, mean, I don't know if 10, 15, will come together, and they, the people sing so loudly, and they sing with such enthusiasm, that you think, that okay, that's it. That's the kind of enthusiastic... Um, corporate singing that that we need it's not it's it's where the voices are the most prominent thing and the and the music is accompanying the voices mm-hmm. when you're in a situation like that you think okay i i i get it but but that's so far from what people are i think mainly experiencing in a lot of churches yeah so Anyway, that's, so I'm going to say that about that, and if you didn't like it, I guess maybe I'm trying to be a little bit provocative, so I'm not sure I totally agree with what I just said. But <laughs> you reserve the right to change your mind. I always reserve the right to change my mind, and I don't want to, be, I don't want to seem hyper-judgmental just You're, because that's not what we do. But you are. But I am judging you. You're a super-judger. Well, I mean, if I, thought that, if I thought that music should be done differently in the way we do it, we would do it differently. But to say, take today what we did, we had a men's choir singing for the women, or, you know, that was kind of the idea is just we'll get the men up there and sing on Mother's Day. We practiced for a couple of weeks. And we just, so I took all the instruments off the stage. And we didn't have drums. We didn't have guitars. We just had a piano and an organ and a men's choir. And it was fine. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was fine. It was kind of a throwback type traditional worship where we had, we really featured the pipe organ on a lot of the songs. And, you know, no one, I don't think anyone had a problem with it. Nobody was thinking this is just so old-fashioned. I hate it. You know, nobody was. No, I don't think anybody. <laughs> if they was, thought it, they didn't say it to yeah, us. Yeah, but I'm sure no one was saying that. You know that 
Well, this is just no good without the drums. I just can't believe he did this. I mean, we've been making all this progress at this church. We've been trying to be more secret sensitive, or whatever people say about that. Uh, you know, so it because it's because I hope what the what the pulpit ministry and all that is accomplishing is reminding people what's important and what's not. That it's not the end of the world if one Sunday you just have to sing with a piano or if we just had a guitar up there. Right. I think we learned some of that when we went through our remodel that it doesn't really matter. So Melissa's really flipping out over the time. Over I'm not here. flipping out. I'm just pointing You're it tapping out. Tapping and pointing and adjusting your head headphones. I, the headphones are they're bothering me tonight. Well, you know, you've got them too tight. No, I think they're too loose. They're like hanging down funny. Is that better? Did that fix no. them? No, that feels. She's terrible. wearing these. She's wearing these headphones that I know are least. Those headphones right there have to be. Oh, I'm guessing they're 20, they're at least 20 years old, maybe 23. <laughs> 20 to 23. 20 to 23, somewhere in that era. Yeah. I mean, those were the ones I used when I was four tracking back in the day when we had cassette tapes. Yeah, those were the days. All right, yeah, this podcast is getting long, unruly, unreasonable. So here's our topic for tonight. Melissa, explain it. Okay, we're still in the middle of our 31 things to teach your kids in 31 days. We're doing every day in the month of May. Tonight is number 13. 13. Which is, teach your kids the sufficiency of Scripture. Really? That's what it is? That's what it is. Yeah, I'd forgotten what it was. <laughs> Teaching your children the sufficiency of Scripture. So how do you do that? Okay, we're, gonna, we're going to make this short and sweet and simple. Because we're already 36 minutes in amazing. to this podcast. So tell us, Pastor... What would be your approach for teaching kids the sufficiency of Scripture? I want to hear your approach. No, I want to hear your approach. Sounds like some people are not prepared to talk about their topic tonight. Well, I think one person at this desk has been to seminary and one person hasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. A couple of things. I'd say I preached the the Mother's Day sermon uh, this morning talking about Timothy and... That the fact that he was uh, discipled by his mother and his grandmother, and there's in Second Timothy um, chapter three, verse sixteen. There's a my pen out of the way here. It says uh, you've known the scriptures since you were in infancy, and and it says they're able they're they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the person of God, I think is what the new NIV says, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what, what we have going on and what your children are going to face, the enemy your children are, are going to face uh, I would say it's sort of a new, it's part, maybe part of the third wave of of uh, charismatic theology that's come in. And, you know, I, I don't want to get into that because, boy, that opens up a whole can of worms. But where any any theology goes off the, way, the, the rails, where the new apostolic reformation, if you want to read up on that, is so dangerous, is its, it's focus on receiving a word from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And these guys you've got going around declaring themselves apostles um, who make mistakes, I mean, who prophesy things that are that don't happen and that are not true, and they show incredible lack of judgment. Google apostles um, recognize Todd Bentley or something like that on Google, and you'll see these guys have made monumental mistakes for guys that are supposed to be the apostles of the new era. And... So you you kind of use them as an example of people saying, well, you know, we have a word. Uh, I've got a word from the Lord on this. Um, Yeah, I think we should be very careful when we say something like that to always qualify it by this is an impression that I've 
received by reading my Bible. It's 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 an application of God's word. I think we'd be very very more, much more uh, thoughtful about the way we talk about God speaking to us. And you know, I remember one time Sawyer came to me and he's like, "Well, God doesn't talk to me. God told this person this something. God told this person God's not talking to me." Sawyer mm-hmm. Adelaide, I don't mm-hmm. remember. I'm saying, well, he he thought literally that God was talking to them because that's what they were saying. Right. So I think we say, well, God was speaking to me through the Word. Um, God was using His Word to reveal something to me. Your headphones bothering you again? Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's so. I wonder why it's so noisy. They're like, twenty or twenty three year years old. You, why are you wearing those creaky old headphones? But Sawyer was um, thinking that that they were audibly hearing from God, and I. I guess there may, you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, people can say things like this. Well, God told me this. I heard a voice out loud. People can say, I had a dream and God told me this and God's told me this. And you know what my general attitude is when people say God told me this? You're I, skeptical. Yeah. So what? Um, that's great. But I, I don't trust what God has told you when you come up and say, God's told me this. I don't trust it, right? Because I, I I know that what what my Bible says here is that the Scriptures make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, that it's God breathed, and that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training righteousness, so the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So yeah. there's not a good work out there that I need. Uh, or that's that that I will be lacking if I don't have your word from God, because I've got what I need for every good work. Right. That's I'm equipped for every single good work, so I don't need, um, I don't need your word, because Scripture is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for every good work, and these people that come up with with a new word from God. My response is, oh, well, do I need to open? Let me let me go over here to Revelation, and find the first blank page after maps, and let me go ahead. Do I need to go ahead and write this down in the Bible? Are you speaking God's word to me? And that's when I think most people would say, oh no, it's not the same as Scripture. Yeah. Then okay, then it's your opinion, it's it's your impression, but it's not something I can take to the bank because it's not Scripture. Right. You know, and it may be helpful. It may be a word. It may be, uh, you know, God. I think gives us, um, I think he does speak to us through his word, uh, a verse that I read uh, one decade may have a different application than, than when I read it again in the next decade, right. the way that, it, that, that I can obey it, the way that it speaks to me uh, regarding a particular circumstance or situation now that I've grown in older and wiser and I'm in a different place in life and a different season in life. Those sorts of things, we I think, but we'd have to be careful the way we talk about it, because we can wind up giving the impression or even starting to believe that I need an emotional experience. I need someone to come and tell me something new, because what what is that ultimately saying about the Bible? That it's not sufficient. Right. And uh, we studied in Sunday school this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, about the armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit is part of the armor of God. And we learned that it's the only offensive weapon, but it's the only offensive weapon that you need. Right. So you don't need to hear some guys, you know, and I, and I'll lay the card on the table. I'm pretty much a cessationist. I mean, I, my official position I picked up from Malcolm Yarnell at Southwestern was my systematic theology professor is open but cautious. Explain what a cessationist is for those okay. who don't know. So I would I would be a cessationist as far as the miraculous gifts that are mentioned in Wait, the New, Tex- it, New Testament. Okay. So what now? Do you have a question? Well, get even more basic than that. Okay. So uh, what we'll what we'll understand is when we read the New Testament, there are things that are happening in the New Testament that you look at, like a, an apostle walks past someone, their shadow hits them, and they're healed. Right. Okay. Or the miraculous gift of tongues where people in the churches were speaking languages that they did not know. And other people were able to hear those languages that they did not know. So maybe you don't know Russian, but I'm able to speak Russian. And at that moment, you're able to understand Russian. And you're able to translate the tongue that I'm speaking. 
uh, that word tongue means known languages. You'll hear arguments for people praying in tongues, glossolalia or whatever they call that. I get, that's kind of a different debate, but I think the Bible's pretty clear that tongues were known tongues. Right. Uh, the tongues of angels, I think Paul's using hyperbole there. But some people think there's this prayer, private prayer language. And if you have a private prayer language, that's fine. You know, I, I personally think that's all baby talk. I'm really laying it out here, aren't I? Well, but basically what you're <laughs> saying is that being a cessationist means that you believe that the miraculous signs and wonders that we see in the New Testament are no longer. No, that's not what I believe. Okay, well, just explain it. You don't have to go into all the details. <laughs> well, but I think that's what people think a cessationist is. I think a cessation. I think people think a cessationist is one who thinks there's no more miracles. Well, I didn't we say there are no more miracles. Yeah. You said the signs and wonders have ceased. So, the way we would say it is the, that those particular giftings okay. have ceased. So, I would say, can God heal? Can God? Could you lay hands on someone and then be healed? I think so. I think we bring people in, we pray for them, we expect a healing. There can be a healing. There could be, there could be a supernatural time in missions. You hear anecdotally things like that, that someone speaks a language or someone understands it. That can happen. So we, those miracles and signs and wonders can still happen. But as far as someone saying, I have the gift of healing and I can heal people the way that the apostles in Acts did, you know, that I'm just saying, okay, you've got a gift of healing. Why are, you wearing, why are you wearing eyeglasses? You've got a gift of healing. Why would you not be at the hospital every day clearing those things out? Yeah. Because, they, because I think that, that you think of so many churches that would be unhealthy because these gifts are not in the church. You know, so I think there's good arguments. You can, well, there's a conference called Strange Fire. I would point you to on Google. It took place a few years ago at John MacArthur's church. Tommy Pennington gives a sermon, kind of a case for cessationism. I think it's very strong. Even if you don't agree, listen to that so you can learn something about what the other side, what the other side believes there. So the counter to those, sort so to the counter to the continuationist, continuant, continuation, continualist, continualist ideas. <laughs> the, the kind of the answer to that is the sufficiency of Scripture. So once we have the Bible. Those sign gifts were used to confirm what the apostles were teaching. So if I walk into a town and, and I say, Jesus is Lord, he rose from the dead, let me tell you what happened. Well, people might say, what is this guy talking about? But if I walk, in, if I walk into town and people are being healed because I'm praying for them, people are going to say, okay, tell us about your God. How, his name is Jesus, and here's what happened. And he, it's because of him that these these miracles are being done. But even towards the end of Paul's ministry, you see sick people. You know, you see, um, I can't remember the, uh, the Philippians, I can't remember his name, but there was a, a particular man that got sick and Paul was glad he was returning to them to take the letter to him because he was greatly, he was gravely ill. Uh, so even towards the end of Paul's ministry, you see people getting sick. And so, that's because the the scripture was coming together where where the church was being um, the church the foundation of the church had been laid, so I think those gifts ceased or began to wane and, and eventually ceased and now we see such a comeback every now and then of these ideas where people just don't believe that the bible's enough, so teach your kids about the sufficient of scripture in in everything I would say teach your kids. That the Bible has the answers. Right. That you don't have to go looking outside the Bible for other answers. And if you find a church that's relying on things other than Scripture, be wary of it. Because the Bible is sufficient. We say sola scriptura. We say that's only Bible. Right. We don't have any other standard. Because this is this is how every, everything you know about Jesus, where do you learn it? From the From the Bible. Bible. <laughs> and and the Bible is sufficient to teach you everything you need to know and everything God wants us to know now about Jesus, about the church, about right. his spirit, about who he is, his character. It's all here. It's sufficient. That's amazing doctrine that we have a we have scripture that is wholly um sufficient for for the equipping us for everything that we need to do every good work. Right. So that's a really well I mean let's close it here in like the next 30 seconds. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. Okay. 
So um, I know I've probably said I've I've just been like Mr. Controversy tonight. What do you think? Do you think people are going to be like, what is he talking about? Uh, maybe. Yeah, that's good though. Stir him up a little bit. I mean, it's I thought big. you were relying on the old ways. I'm open. I'm open. <laughs> See, because well, that's a good example. That's my prayer. I'm open to God. Say, hey, I want anything you'll give me. I want anything you'll give me. That's a prayer. I regularly pray that. Yeah. I'm not afraid to ask God to do anything. Okay. And I would. And I would love. You know, if if God, you know, if the sign gifts are out there, then I want them. Right. But you know, I I I think the way that many times they're they're abused or uh, used is abuse. It's not done scripturally. There's problems. I know some people practice uh, like Matt Chandler's church would not be a cessationist church. So you've got you know even within sort of what the the recent movements of churches and mega churches and all that and popular pastors. There's a lot of disagreement over this. So I'm, I'm saying I could be wrong. Yeah. So I'm open, but I'm very cautious because I think there's so much abuse in this. Okay, so the takeaway for parenting, I think, would be, um, first of all, to make sure that your family is relying on the Scripture to get your information about who God is. Right. And also to make the Bible really accessible to your kids. And I'm not talking about, you know, special programs or something. I'm just talking about reading it together and... Um, talking about what it means. Mm -hmm. And teaching them that when we have a problem, this is like Jackson and Heather were saying last night, that that this is where they go for comfort. Right. Not to some prophet who's got a new word from the Lord. Right. I mean, what if it changes tomorrow? What if he's wrong? These guys, these new prophets say, well, it's okay to be wrong. (laughs) Not not if you read the Old Testament. And the other thing is that... Prophets got stoned. I think it's important for kids to see that in the scripture, we see that God tells us everything about ourselves. I mean, he explains everything about why we do what we do and and what it means. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because kids understand sin from a very young age. Yeah. And, you know, they need to know that there's help for that. <laughs> God's not surprised by it. Yeah, and and even and even what's happening has been talked about in Scripture. Men will come into the church, they'll tickle ears, they'll tell men what they want to hear, and so let's make sure that we're faithful to the, the word that God has given us, that we can rely on for everything. So teach your kids that the Scripture is sufficient, and that God has spoken, and and then live that way. Yeah, live that way. Amen. All right. Well, it's been good. So this extra long podcast. Sorry about all the prolegomena. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.